Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School. I'm Andrew. I'm Jake. And I'm Jacob. And it's Christmas time again, and this year for one of our two holiday specials, we're taking a look at the Rankin-Bass classic, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which turns 50 this year. Came out December 14th, 1970, so I'm sure 1970 was a better year than 2020, but still. Because we got this, that's why it's better. Jumping right in. I love the level of importance this ascribes to the story, but you know, when you're a kid, this is a very important tale. Well, it's very much like Rudolph, uh, which came out in 64. You know, you could click the link below for our commentary, but you know, that also had the same gimmick of opening up with newsreel footage, making this like, oh, this is a, you know, this is a true story, kids. This happened before you were born, though. You know, Rudolph, you know, you don't know how many years prior to 1964. This is supposed to be, this is obviously hundreds of years ago, apparently. But um, yeah, you got Fred Astaire here. It's very timeless. Yeah, it's SD. Mm-hmm. It, it does. I mean, you can take you know a, a time period away from the art style, but the story itself is intentionally pretty vague and timeless. Yeah. Yeah. Fred Astaire. Um, mm-hmm. This is probably my favorite of the Rankin Bass specials. Mm-hmm. I'd say Frosty is mine, but this of the claymation is, ones, this is. This is also probably the first movie I have a real memory of obsessively watching uh, when I was really young. So it's, yeah, this... uh, I'd say this is the best prequel ever made. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is like a weird comparison. I, I think of like stuff like the Han Solo prequel where it's like, <laughs> we got to fit all the stuff in. We got to fit in, you know, how we got this we got to get how we met this person and that's kind of what this film's doing where it's like well how do you get the reindeer how do you beat the elves but you know what it's a cute and very concise narrative and it's very well done yeah. well and that's the thing um romeo muller i think is how you pronounce his name he was the writer he did a lot of these um writing for these um rankin bass specials in this era um and you know like that's the thing it's like you know he wanted to do the origin story for Santa, but he like acknowledged that every culture has their own different version. So it's like, okay, how do I create this? So it's like, you know, pretty much none of this mythology um, is from um, anywhere else, but here um, that it's a um, you know complete invention by this guy. You know, it's very much like with the Wolfman. Um, with um, I'm blanking mm-hmm. on the writer's name. I'll put it up on the bottom of the screen. Um, Kurt Cedermock, I think actually. Um, you know, there were werewolves and werewolf mythology, but, you know, he's the one who created, you know, Full Moon, Kiln of Silver, Silver Bullet, etc., and all that. So it's very similar here. It's like, okay, you know, why does Santa have flying reindeer? Okay, well, we'll see because, you know, they had to break out of jail. Why does he have a beard? Because he's a criminal. Uh, they're just having, very jail They're having fun with yeah. it, you know? It's, there's not much of a greater pretense to it. Uh, it's just how Santa came to be and how he's a good and selfless person. Yeah. And that's what the holiday is about in the, you know, or at least in the context that they're selling it to us here. Yeah, I mean, it's not great. It's not meant to. Yeah, you're not meant to think about it too deeply. It's um, it's just, yeah, it's like he came up with like, okay, well, you know, what would how do kids want to know why? Why he has reindeer? Okay, well, let me explain. And it feels very charming. It doesn't feel nearly back to your solo comparison. It doesn't feel nearly as soulless and corporate it's just like how do i tell a good story about the origins of santa claus if this movie was made today 
It would be an 18-episode miniseries. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was it? What was the... What was the movie with the Big Lebowski guy in it about Santa Claus? Just Santa Claus? Yeah. It's just interesting, you know. Every, you know, I feel like every every decade or so you get the origin of Santa Claus film that comes out, whether it's a TV special, a cartoon, or a movie. Uh, this, is, this is definitely my personal favorite and, yeah. you know, probably the most well-known. Yeah. Well, Rankin Bass actually say my personal favorite, as if I've watched any of these other ones. <laughs> I did not watch Santa Claus with the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Um, well, in the, the in nineteen eighty five, so you know, fifteen years after this, Rankin Bass actually came back to the Santa origins, doing um, the life and adventures of Santa Claus, and it tells a very different you know, origin story for Santa. Um, ironically, both though begin with a baby. You know, we never know whose parents are—a baby orphan just being found and taken in by, um, you know, forces, supernatural forces, if you want to call elves that, um, and you know, raising him. We never find out who Santa's real parents are, so it's very weird that that's the one consistent thing. He's a fucking orphan. Do we do we want to say something about the best character in the movie here? Sure. The Burger Meister Meister Burger. <laughs> that's an addition to the santa mythos that should have carried out over from this film into other media yeah what a what a wonderful character yeah i mean just imagine having such a petty like childish leader but it's great in this uh but you know the burgermeister at least runs a competent governorship yeah <laughs> um but as I was saying, so Santa, the Life and Times, or Life and Adventures of Santa, was made into a rank and bass special in the '80s, and then um, we, our age, might remember it a little bit better. Um, there was a special in 1999, which was a remake of it in more traditional animation. That was actually really good, and it's a shame I can't really find anywhere online. I found um, it a few years ago, like the first third of it on YouTube, and like that's it. I can't find it anywhere else except like out of print DVD. So it's like a real shame, but it's. Same thing, um, like the origins of Santa Claus, though it got very weird because it, you know, they kind of touch on this in the end with um, Santa growing older and all that and becoming timeless. But in this version, it's he becomes an elderly man, slips, falls down the stairs and is in a coma, essentially. And then all the spirits of Christmas around him decide to bestow immortality on him. Like we can never give him a go- uh, any human a godlike status but we will do it for him because he's pure of heart. And I've always thought, man, that's a pretty fucked up thing to bestow upon somebody without asking them. And then also his wife gets it as well. So neither of them consented to becoming immortal, but there we are. That's, um, that's a little creepy. Yeah. I think that's overthinking it. Just have him be a guy like they do on this. Yeah. It's fine. Like they kind of hint at it, but they don't go into creepy terror. Um, <laughs> All right, so, yeah, like here, we got the elves. They're just there, and they adopt them. Well, the Kringles. And that was one of the things, you know, um, they Romeo Muller wanted to kind of combine the different stories. So it's like, okay, you know, his name was Claus, as you see, like, on his segment. That's the only thing that identified him. But, you know, a lot of people call him Chris Kringle. So, okay, the people who raised him are the Kringles. So he has got two different names. So it's just a very clever way of like getting both the common names people call him in. But yeah. 
I think the simplicity just helps the fact that they just didn't have much time to, uh, they just had to get it done in an hour, and that's it. Well, and this is a little bit longer than Rudolph, def uh, twice the length of Frosty, so this is, like, one of the longer, um, classic ones. I, uh, I think Year of Santa Claus is around this long in length, but, um... I just love the, uh, the first one. I love the stop motion here. It's like very quaint, and obviously it's not at the level of something like Aardman or anything like that. But I think that's part of the charm, and it gives it sort of like a rustic feel that I think <clears> is <throat> what makes these things so distinct and memorable, the, the Rankin Bass films. Um, it's like the, the figures are, are pretty basic, and the movement's a little janky. It's not super smooth, but you know, I, I think that contributes to the art style in a weird way um mm. it has a nice art style onto its own with these these figures which have a nice stylization to them and everything they're very bright and cute looking but the uh the jankiness in a way kind of again gives it like that homemade feel oh, and i think this is the best um stop motion they did in any of the, the big ones that i watch every year you know rudolph was obviously the first one, real one they did so it was you know a learning process but i think this is still better than um 1974's Year Without a Santa Claus. I don't know, maybe because we're watching this much nicer quality um, DVD versus my VHS rips, but still. Um, I'd say every song in this was great. It shows you, though, that um, Reagan Bass like are great at making these classic songs, because Half the one that all pretty much all except the um, Santa Claus is coming to town, I think, is completely original to this. And it's like you hear people sing one foot in front of the other and all that as Christmas songs. And they're like, we just made this to fill a little bit more time up. And it's really great writing. What? I, I, I should look this up. What what were the, like the um, the budgets and the timeline for making these things, for making these specials? Two months. Do we? I mean, like, do we actually no, like, know? How no, much I don't know. Because it's like <laughs> I mean, we're like talking about the, you know, we're we're talking about that, but on the same token, like they have like pretty famous actors in this for the time. I mean, they I were mean, doing one. Famous. They were doing one of these pretty much every year or two. I mean, Frosty the Snowman came out in '69. So it wasn't like these were just like unknown like like Rankin Bass is a very established animation company yeah I mean Rudolph had been um, just six like years probably old didn't point. I mean clearly didn't have the highest budget for all their productions but they, they were very very established and they've done a lot of things even outside of uh, outside of these Christmas specials yeah didn't they I want to say that they did the animated return of the king that was Rankin I think Bass, so. right oh I think so they did that. Yes. And they did the uh, the animated film, The Last Unicorn, which is a a cult classic. Yeah. Well, that's it. They're obviously best known for their um, Christmas specials, but yeah, they did brand or holiday specials in general. But they did branch out across um, different mediums and then different you know genres. I love this. I'm a man now, Tata. <laughs> <laughs> Just turns like around. Seven years old. <laughs> I just like that. <laughs> it reminds me of um the Dewey Cox walk hard the Dewey Cox story. <laughs> <laughs> He's like I'm 15 years old. 
<laughs> I love you know, when movies do that, like unironically, like um, that movie Canute Rock Me All American. You know, that's the famous movie where Reagan's like go out there and win one for the Gipper. There's like a scene where like Pat O'Brien, who's like 50 years old, playing Canute Rock Me is like an 18 year old kid but they had like other 18 year olds around him so he's like gee molly want to go to the sock hop as he's like wearing a baseball cap to cover the fact that he's balding (laughs) but no mickey rooney does great in here i mean yeah he doesn't sound like he's 18 but you know he brings such like a bombastic um it's part of the charm yeah such a bombastic charm to this i get into the uh the warlock I love this guy. Winter. Really, yeah. really scared me when I was younger. But... Yeah, same here. Got our day tripper penguin. That's a staple. You know, it's another thing where the the archaic animation makes it a little creepier in a way mm-hmm. because the movement's limited and it's jankier, and it almost makes him seem a little bit more uh, surreal. Yeah. And then he becomes nice, and it's not scary anymore. But that's okay. That's yeah. good. Yeah. It works mm-hmm. either way. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, I mean, I love the animation. It's like, and it's just, like, amazing. We talked about this with the Rudolph special last year. It's, like, how the effort that, like, went through, like, stamping the snow down every time they walk. Like, it, it's so fluid. So what do we think happened to the penguin after the events of this film? Oh, they ate him. That makes sense. He's not in Rudolph. He's not, he's not there anymore. He's not at the North Pole. There's a, yeah. Because of climate change. Yeah, the Warlock too. We don't know what happened to him after the events of this film. Well, that's the thing. Rankin Bass tried doing like a half-ass continuity with a lot of these movies. Um, like the village design for this is the same as Rudolph, except the, in Rudolph it's much bigger because like the implication is this is since this is a prequel, this is just them starting out hundreds of years later. You know, they got Rudolph, and now like they've expanded operations. Um, they mention um, Rudolph in this special towards the end. And then, you know, Mickey Rooney plays Santa Claus again in The Year Without a Santa Claus and a couple other um, specials along the way. So, like, they always were trying to half-ass do continuity, but then they never stuck to it. So it's like they have, like, three different creatures that create winter. So, like, you have him, you have Jack Frost, and then, um, okay, maybe it's just the two of them. But, like, they're always changing up the continuity. They stick to it just enough for kids' nose, but at the same time you wonder what the fuck happened to the warlock. And at the end, you know, you don't see the Kringles again in um, Rudolph. Did he fire them? I think this is massively overthinking it. No, I'm just like saying, like they were trying. They just got Mickey Rooney to come back and do the voice again. And then Santa Claus and his elves in his workshop, you know, look like Santa's workshop and his elves. It was like just sort of a, a similar art style. No, I think I think they did. I'll give them a little effort, um, credit that they did try. Like they were trying on some things here, like where they're like, "Oh, well, let's make it the same workshop, yo, know, and all that." But they didn't um, put as much effort in. It. Like they were kind of dipping both feet in like both ponds. Like either these are completely separate, and it's just a coincidence we got Mickey Rooney back, or no, there is supposed to be some level of continuity, like as references to these other ones. It's just it, it definitely is overthinking. It's just funny. It's like. Where did the penguin go? Where's Winter? Why isn't he involved in Rudolph? Why didn't he help with um, the storm in Rudolph? But it's fun. They gave him some magic beans and he flew away. He really didn't like it there. Yeah. Or he's dead. As a kid, though, I did like to imagine this was the prequel to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. Like I said, there's enough continuity that makes sense. But then if you think about it for more than three seconds, you're like, wait, where did these characters go? No, yeah, it's not meant to be. I, really I think of. that's kind of overlooking the point of all these things. It's, yeah. They're just nice self-contained stories with some 
yeah. some of the same characters throughout. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like the Muppets. I I always liked how the Muppet films, each one, is basically just a new origin story for the Muppets. Like, the Muppet movie is the origin of the Muppets, and then the Great Muppet Caper is also the origin of the Muppets, and it's just completely different. And then Muppets Take Manhattan is a completely different origin for the Muppets. It just like doesn't matter. Only on the me and Jacob watched the um, Muppet Family Christmas the other night. That That was fascinating. Maybe seeing all those characters like together that you never legally could get together now yeah that was for people who don't know that's a fran- that's a special that came out in 1987 and it's the um only muppet project that has the big four properties of muppets muppet babies fraggles and then sesame street but they show like muppet babies in that as well so that you have like the muppet babies like oh no they were all friends since childhood so it's like yeah that's another origin story for the muppets because muppet babies started off as like a joke in the muppets go manhattan um, where like they just flash back to them as babies all hanging out and it's just like a joke but the scene was popular and it turned into this big franchise yeah. and we'll never be able to see that show now I've never seen it I yep. never watched the show or anything I just know that that trivia fact from that movie yeah I watched it as a kid Muppet Babies in fact that was my only real exposure to the Muppets I, I wasn't really into the Muppets like you guys were yeah. how was it? I liked it from what I remember honestly I don't remember I, don't I, I like liked whole, it, I guess. The whole conceit of like cartoon characters, but as babies, never interested me as a kid. Because didn't they do that with the Looney Tunes also? Yeah, baby. Looney oh, Tunes. Tiny Tunes? No, well, they did Tiny Tunes, but there baby was like Looney two of Tunes. Them. There was yeah. like Tiny Tunes, which I, which is pretty good, and then baby Looney Tunes, but I never watched that one. Yeah, Tiny Tunes. They are not specifically the younger versions of them, like the old school Looney Tunes. Are their teachers? They're, just, they're essentially yes. baby versions of them, but they're like, we don't want to go that far. We want to make our own characters. But yeah, you have a kid version of Bugs Bunny. You have a kid version of Sylvester and all that, but you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it works across some shows. I think like Tom and Jerry Kids is terrible. Baby Looney Tunes, what I've seen is not great. But I think you know it worked with Pup Named Scooby-Doo, and I think it worked with Muppet Babies. But anyways, back to this. So we're getting the... Um, origin for you know why do we have stockings and again it's just like one of these things where it's like um i listened to the commentary for this you know the historian talking about it is he kind of sums this up as this is the ultimate special to show kids who have questions about santa claus so it's just like even though that's not the actual origin for why we have stockings you know and toys are put in stockings it's just like oh well there you go that's why because the meister burger meister meister burger did this you know etc it's it's charming I think, yeah, I think what I respect about it now that I'm older is that they managed to turn that into a cohesive narrative. It, it really, like, incorporates all those elements you got to have in there. You know, why is he good on the chimney? What are the stockings? Where do, you know, Mrs. Claus and the elves slash Kringles all come from? But it makes it into an exciting narrative with uh, propulsive tension throughout, A to B moments. It's, it doesn't feel like a checklist, even though... It gets through so much of those uh, those tropes and elements that you need to have in there. Yeah, there's no. Um, I mean, there technically is the moments like, "What is your people's name?" I have no people. Then we'll call you Solo. Like I know they kind of have a cause, but like it feels a lot more natural. Like there is a checklist element technically, but like they work it into the plot a lot more naturally. It feels like yeah, this is the reason why. This feels like this was a fairy tale story that they adapted that it's not just a you know let's do this 
even though the writer probably had about six days to write the script because it would probably go into production the day after we start filming today <laughs> oh, oh no. fuck we already designed the puppets get all the fred astaire scenes done first and then just all right what's the story gonna be uh, fred astaire's not feeling very well today he's a little tipsy oh shit i like how right around it in the studio just get him to say ho 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 <laughs> uh yeah we got another this is a great shot here, here. The pan? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I was going to make an alcoholic Rooney joke, Michael, Mike, Mickey Rooney joke, but I didn't want to make it during the shots. Okay, save it, save it. Too late. Um, yeah, it's interesting that they made Santa and his wife both redheads, and it goes into the conspiracy theory that Yukon Cornelius is their son. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, film theory did a whole theory and it's kind of compelling but like it's clearly not at all what the intention was and like i'll point out at the end there's a redhead kid as sd pulls in through like the santa village just like who is this redhead kid is that yukon cornelius and like it's clearly supposed to be a girl i think we got a bit of a small universe problem here yeah. not every character in the santa universe needs to be related yeah that's like saying finn is the son of mace windu they're just getting too hierarchical with their Santa mythology. That's the problem here. The Santa family doesn't need to be the only voice in this story. Exactly. But no, I mean, it, it, again, it goes to the people. The story isn't for you, Jacob. Yeah. The Santa story should be for everybody. <laughs> I, I could never have the Why are you laughing? No reason. He just keeps oh. pulling toys out of his coat. Yeah, I know we were making fun of it a little bit earlier on, but I still just can't get over like a 50-year-old Mickey Rooney playing such a young character. I'm getting flashbacks to like a pup named Scooby-Doo where like a 50-something-year-old Casey Kasem is pretending to be a little kid. Just expecting Mickey Rooney to start complaining about his failed marriages or financial problems. <laughs> Yeah, I do like how um, the bad guy in this is pretty, like, Germanic, and it's like, yeah, this is, like, you know, only, um, what, 55, 25 years after the war ended, so this would be, like, the equivalent of, like, all of our bad guys looking like Saddam Hussein and, like, Christmas specials, I guess. What, no one wants to talk about the Gulf War? Well, no, I, mean, I think this is... This doesn't really take place in a specific time period. Well, no, it's like, I mean, it's, it's just like, a, it's got like an art style. Yeah, but. no, I mean, it's it's not supposed to obviously be not German, but like, I think like, that's where a lot of people, like their mindsets go to the Germanic old World War One style helmets. Like, it's kind of reminiscent, like enough to draw a line. Like, yep, they're the bad guys. I might be wrong. I might be looking deep. Yeah, oh, and this scene, um, they've removed it from the DVDs and the um, the um, re-airings, but for decades, if you look carefully when um, he gets like picked up by the tree in a moment, the animator's fucked up, and there's like a couple frames of like the flash bulb and like an animator's hand at the top of the frame, and like they had to edit that out in like the 90s when the home video market came and people were discovering it. Oh, nice. Like, yeah, it's a very random example, but uh, the 1925 movie, The Lost World. I know you've both seen it and are both yeah. huge fans. I actually have seen it. Um, there's a there's a goof like that at the end when the 
the brontosaurus is attacking the city you can see the wire holding the dinosaur up at one point if you yeah. pause it <laughs> I, I remember watching it i was like what was that they go back yeah. and pause it well and they have um and this you can see now and they i can only imagine it's even clearer in the blu-ray but like you could clearly see the wires now in this like it was never they never meant this to be seen in like hd like crystal clear lens like oh yeah you could see it a little bit more but it still adds to the charm <laughs> they also had that problem in king kong like they had a sequence they had to completely refilm because they had real plants like in the setting and like over the course of the two days they were two to three days they were filming it a flower bud erupted into a flower and then kind of withered away. So you see King Kong battling a dinosaur, and then you see like a flower blooming and then slowly dying in the bottom. And they're like, "Fuck, <laughs> I gotta refill it." Of course, what always bothered me with the original King Kong, I, I mean, I say bothered. It's a great movie. Um, is the ripples in the fur? You can always see the ripples in King Kong's fur. And like, you know, at first, at first, I, as a kid, I thought it was intentional. I'm like, "Oh, is that supposed to be wind?" Nah, that's from the fingers of yeah, the animators. Pe people try and say, like, oh, well, it's like his muscles are moving. Like, what fucking muscles have you ever seen twitch like that? Like, was he a Parkinson's? exoskeleton. Yeah. You know, I, I watched that for the first time, and much to my surprise, it's not a tragic story like the uh, the next two remakes are. No, it's, uh, King Kong is portrayed much more monstrous than that original yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, it's more of, it's just more of the theme of, oh, you know, beauty, uh, beauty kill the beast it's more of like an ironic thing yeah also like very mm. intense and fast-paced for its day you, oh, yeah. You, yeah. you watch a movie like that and you expect it to be a uh just sort of like a, a very slow sort of thing that occasionally will have special effects nope they get to skull island and it's just non-stop monsters <laughs> well someone yeah. talked about like in the uh, peter jackson remake like when they get to the point on the ship that they're talking about like they're going to skull island you know it's that really like over the top like you know um adrian brody's typing skull and like it freaks out jamie bell it's like they were already on the island and had like five shots of king kong in the original one by that point that scene is the epitome of the uh the remake of king kong the typing skull island for five minutes <laughs> adrian brody's just like s k but no oh, i love that now movie yeah now we're that's a great the, movie yeah. But let's this go back a, to this. It's a great song here. And I, I always like, like, you look at, like, this whole song is such a dynamic and bouncy song. And it just, like, takes place in, like, one location. Yeah. You got them standing over, like, on the left of the screen there. And then you got the doorway. And everybody just walks through the doorway. And that's the choreography of the whole song. Now, if this was, like, a like a big-budget Disney animated film or something, it would be them bouncing around this huge set and these expansive vistas. But this is very low budget, and the whole thing is just like in one space. But you know what? They make great use of that. Have a fun, bouncy song. Good choreography that goes with the song, and it sort of, uh, sort of exemplifies the uh, the changing character to the warlock, and it, it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, yeah, the 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 choreography matches the just how basic the lyrics are. Just walking out the door, and the that's characters. it. Yeah. Got, yeah. Yeah. You know, Chris walks through the door and he walks through normally, and it's because he's well balanced and adjusted. And you got uh, Topper, and he slides through. He's the comic side, uh, comic sidekick. And then the warlock stumbles slowly but confidently through, getting more confident as it goes on, and uh, shows how he's changing as a character. Yeah, yeah this uh, this whole scene, this this song is probably my favorite out of all of the the Rankin Bass 
Christmas yeah. special songs. And that's like the funny thing because it's like you know all the other songs like in these other like specials are like great, but it's like you know I in Rudolph Rudolph is the best one I think. You know I I don't like Misfits or Silver Gold nearly as much, but it's like this yeah this is my favorite of I think this special and all of them. Um, but to talk a little bit about um, Winter or Warlock, depending on what you want to call him, I know he prefers to be Winter. Uh, this is played by Keenan Wynn. Who yep. better known to a lot of people as he was the colonel in um, Doctor Strange Love? He's the one who doesn't want like to shoot up the Coca Cola machine. He's like, "Oh, you're gonna have to pay Coca Cola for that." And um, <laughs> he was the villain in the Flubber or the uh, original Absent-Minded Professor, and then its sequel, Son of Flubber. And then his father was Edwin, you know, famous for um, the guy who sings I Love to Laugh and Mary Poppins with Dick Van Dyke on the ceiling and um, best known as the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland. Well, he, Keenan Wynne, he was also going to play Perry White in the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movie, but I think he got sick. I didn't know that. And he had to be replaced. He would have been good. Yeah. Did he play someone in that, that movie? Jackie again? Mason, then? That's... Jack, Jackie that... Gleason? No, Mason. Oh, Jackie Mason, sorry. No, it's not Jackie Cleese. <laughs> sorry. Hey, Superman. <laughs> Bang! Zoom! Strike the Krypton! Well, you know who else we have in this movie? We got uh, Paul Fries. Yeah. Is the Burgermeister. And he plays a bunch of the Kringles as well. Yep. And he got paid the exact same amount. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, yeah, he he's very well known in like the Disney theme park community. Um, I believe he... Um, played Ludwig the, uh, von Drake, I think is the name. He's like the scientist duck in like all the um, like old Disney shorts. Um, and I think he's the um, narrator um, in the Haunted Match. I'll put up on the screen if I'm correct about that or not. But um, yeah, he, he's they all had quite the career in this. They're in this era, these voice actors. Well, uh, wasn't he in... Uh, actually, let me... Let me look this up before I embarrass myself and get this wrong. Sorry, right, just keep the film going in the background. It won't take long. Yeah, he was also Paul Verhees was um, also the voice of Jack Frost in the second Frosty movie that came out in '76. You could be looking this up on IMDb yourself, but we will for you. Tell, tell the boys and girls to leave the doors and windows unlocked. That could have been a much different line in a, a different context. <laughs> Immediately freeze frame. It's like, if you've seen this man, please report him to the FBI now. You could recut this movie to make it like a disturbing thriller. Like a government trying to keep a terrorist from coming, yeah. to, coming to town. He's a monster trying to kill your children. Leave your doors open. I'm always watching you. Voiced by Mickey Rudy on top of it. Yes. Oh, I was confused. I was confusing Paul Freeze with Paul Kligman. Okay. So um, I'm glad we could take several minutes of precious time out of this commentary so I could scroll Paul Freeze's Wikipedia article and see yeah. if it was on there. I guess yeah. Paul Freeze was a little on the nose. Yeah. Well, though this is actually um, going back to the whole keep your door unlocked and then like the chimney. This is actually a good metaphor to, or a good lesson to have in here, like to explain why he goes in the chimney so kids aren't like, 
oh, leave the door unlocked. So Santa comes. It's like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. He comes down the chimney now. Don't worry. Or what if he just did? Be worried about. What if he tried to go? Worry about real crazy. He just got shot. Oh no! <laughs> oh. Mickey Rooney gets shot by a double-barreled shotgun. <laughs> Hello. Like the homeowner's aiming at chest level for an average person, but they just blow his head off. They just see he's got a red hat, and they think he's like a MAGA guy. Yes. Santa's is part of the culture wars now. Oh my God. Get that red off your head. You're a snowflake, is what he would say. Oh, da da. You got to put a sound effect in the war. Just crickets. But cut all that. <laughs> yes. No, no, you should play it with a uh, shotgun sound. <laughs> um, yeah, go through the chimney. What if he gets... You could get cancer like that. that. I was going to say he's going to get stuck like Phoebe Cates' father in Gremlins. Oh. <laughs> oh God. That's why I don't celebrate Christmas. I love how they make fun they of that. They gotta bring that back when they do the inevitable Gremlins 3. Well, I love how they make fun of that in the sequel. Like, she starts talking about it, like, I think it's President's Day, and he's like, yeah, 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 okay, come on, let's go. It's like, it implied that she has a horror story for every holiday. And then if they do the third one about Clamp becoming President, it traumatizes her because she has the horrible traumatic memory from President's Day. Yeah. Was it that, or was it, like, Abraham Lincoln's birthday? Yeah, maybe. I think mean, uh, it had something to do with Lincoln. Yeah. It's not gonna be a Gremlins 3. It's gonna be a Insert streaming service. Eight-hour miniseries. Okay. I was going to say, hopefully Dick Miller comes so, back, but he's sad. HBO best. Max. That's a Warner Brothers property. Oh, oh, sorry. Excuse me. And each... Give, give it a couple of years. Give it a couple of years. Each episode... We'll let you, re we'll let you redo that line, Jake. <laughs> no, it's... No, no, please keep it. I don't give a shit. In each episode, we're just going to go in-depth about each character, about their origin and their backstory. Yeah, they'll give the Dick Miller character, like, he'll be recast by someone, but, like, give him, like, a huge backstory. Yeah, it'll be, it'll slow everything down. You'll just, you'll just sit there wondering why you're watching TV. I don't know why, why we're all complaining. I'd love to watch an 18-part miniseries <laughs> version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, where one episode is just focused on the Burgermeister doing nothing for 60 minutes. By the way, I like this no detail that um, the it man has here... the best stop motion acting I've ever seen. Did you see that scene where the Burgermeister sat there and pondered what he just did when he ordered all the toys to be burned? Oh my god, dude. I've never seen that in a Rankin Bass special before. Do you think that'll be nominated for an Emmy? Do you think it's got a chance, Jacob? I, I think it'd be criminal if it didn't even get a nomination. Okay. <laughs> um. So go ahead. Sadly, it lost to Modern Family. <laughs> this isn't too... Um, what is this, 2014? <laughs> Sadly, it lost to the Rockford Files. <laughs> God. Uh, as I was saying before we went down that rabbit hole, the father in that previous scene is um, the same design as the king from the, yeah. the, the first toy maker of the king, so... I've always wondered, like, wait, did he get deposed, or is this just like a lot? <laughs> no, was that like his illegitimate bastard son who uh, didn't have enough power to keep the throne? No, what probably happened is the, the the guy with the puppet. He had like two hours to make the new puppet, and he just saw that design. He's like, all right, I'll just make that. More likely, it was. Just, I just always thought it was such a weird detail to put in there. I'm like, 
wait, is that going to be, like, a character? And, like, I've looked into it. Like, there's no thing of, like, oh, this was originally supposed to be an hour and a half and there was going to be a subplot about that. It's just, like, no, they just redesigned. It's weird, but... Look, this is probably all stuff animated when, with men with cigarettes hanging out of their mouths. And then they had to go all home. Fucking World, all World War II vets who are, like, <laughs> struggling PTSD from fighting in Guam. They, kept... they had to redo the scene because the, the cigarette ash kept falling into the shot. <laughs> On the kids? That's the snow. That's the snow. <laughs> That's how they, that's, yeah. They, originally, they were just going to light the fire. The animator was going to put a cigarette into the toilet. <laughs> this animator just kidding. This actually wasn't supposed to be a Christmas special, but uh, with all the cigarette ash, it kind of looked like snow. They're like, ah, fuck it. And they just we kept, got our end of second act right here. They just kept checking their watches until they went home to, to go have their meatloaf dinner, <laughs> drank a beer. Even though this was animated in Japan, so it would have been Japanese soldiers. Oh, oh, excuse me. Then they would have been working all day and night. <laughs> <laughs> they're getting out of the occupation just ending two minutes before they film this we're cutting all that out that was pretty uh, funny though. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, they're, they they work very hard all right now we're getting to the uh now we're getting into what now we're getting into her song Oh, this song. Yeah, this is where this you is the... can see the Japanese influence. So it turns into like an acid fuel yeah. pipe. Oh, this song. This is the. Whoa. This is the song that you fast forward when you're when you're six years old. <laughs> and then this is the song you fast forward to once you're sixteen years old. I don't think so. All right, this so is some trippy stuff. On a scale of one to ten, how hot is Mrs. Claus? Not now. Anyway, in this scene, you can see the birds take her hair up, down, and it's it symbolizes how she's free now. She's less uptight. Ah, uh, I guess I didn't notice that because I always fast forward the scene. <laughs> also, that flower wasn't supposed to be there. They it just bloomed over the thirty see, days. People, they people it. like you were the reason why they cut the "When Love Is Gone" scene from the Muppet Christmas Carol. You, you got to appreciate the slow songs too, even though as a kid it's kind of dull. I don't want to know I mean, about love. At least Very when confusing. love is gone, played an important part to the plot. I mean, other than like Jessica about to have an orgasm thinking about Chris or something, I don't know. Like, do we need this? She fell in love. It's okay. I think it's a nice sequence. No, it, it's I a like great song. song. No, I, I find it charming. Look, I, I appreciate it now. Look, I haven't watched enough to really have a firm opinion of it, but it looks very nice. It's very creative. It's very 60s. Yeah. This is like, or, well, I know, this is 70s that came out, but it's very 60s in its aesthetic. And they had to use the, This is where it shows its age the most. Yeah, they had, to, they had a bunch of leftover stuff from the 60s that they had to use up. And it's weird because, like... This is, a, this is a Sid Barrett Pink Floyd music video that was left on the cutting room floor, and they turned it into a beloved holiday special. <laughs> By the way, I like that effect that they just clearly took a picture of the puppet and just put it at the bottom of a fountain. It's like, it's it's so clever. It works. You know what? All that imagery, as trippy as it is, all has a purpose. Yeah. Shows Visually shows her character changing. But then she puts her hair back In up. In the strangest, most dated way possible, but it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. But then they have her put her hair right back up because it's too difficult to animate flowing hair. What if Winter just... Yeah. What if Winter, she just popped into the window and he just hanged himself? Oh, God. That's why he's not in um, 
the series. Yeah. Like, he had they, guilt over They were it. adapting, because this, this is a true story, you know. Yeah. They were adapting it, and they're like, we can't leave that part in. <laughs> Let's just have him come along, and yeah. he can just be walking with them the rest of the special. <laughs> Why is his head hanging down so low? It's really weird. But he's, he's got, hunched. Got he's hunched over. <laughs> he's like an ageless like wizard, so I mean, I would assume if I'm a million years old, I would be tired and slouching. I'm slouching now. Wasp is throwing out his back so he can do this commentary. Oh, my back. Oh, up here, I love this. Um, as the kids are reading off the names, the one kid fucks up and says Blitzer instead of Blitzen, but they're like, oh, that's so cute. We have to leave it in, and it's great. They even managed to fit Rudolph in there. Though they had a different sound effect instead of his, like, you know, squeaky, like, childlike sound. It's now like, meh. When his light goes off, so I guess it shows he's older. Oh, he's alive! There he is. <laughs> In reality, they, his corpse was just slung over the deer. They're like, we can't leave him here. We have to bury him with dignity. Easy fix. Thank God they're puppets, not a. Now, do you think that Meisterberger is supposed to be him in the background younger, or it's supposed to imply a little... I imagine it's his son. Oh, Meisterbergers. No, I'm kidding. I... What if they ended this, like, the Meisterberger soldiers all, like, surrounded the Kringle home and tried to attack it, and they had to fend them off with, like, a bunch of traps. Like, like Skyfall? Like... See, I was imagining they don't really say what... <laughs> it's like Sky... This is... Okay, you know what... The... This is weird. You know what I'm thinking of, though? I'm think of, thinking of Oz the Great and Powerful, how that movie ended. Ooh. Did anyone see that movie? Yeah, we did. Jacob and I saw it together in theaters. Remember how it ends where like the the witch's forces attack the munchkins and James Franco and they fight back, but they don't like it's not a big battle. It's just like a bunch of traps. I it's can't... like a bunch of tricks and they outsmart them. So they don't have to have a scene where munchkins go and just like get into a big epic battle with like mm -hmm. death. Yeah, that'd be I actually uh, forgot about that. I, I would like to rewatch that. Yeah. Is it on Disney by the Plus? Way, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I always thought, by the way, with Santa's beard here, or I guess we call him Santa now, I don't know, Chris's beard, he always looked Amish here for some reason to me. Like I feel like that's what Amish people's beards look like, right? He's missing the mustache, that's why. Yeah. They just became Mennonites. Yeah. <laughs> They took the train, that, though. That's, that's, but no, that's why if he's Amish, that's why all the toys are like wooded because he doesn't believe in technology. So even like in twenty twenty, you just get a wooden trainer blocks from him. Boy, Santa, you're really falling behind the times here. <laughs> if it worked in the fourteen hundreds, it'll work now. <laughs> but no, back to how you're saying, like the Meisterberger soldiers surround their house. They don't really explain what happens to the Meisterberger. There's oh, they just kind of. Fell no, out they, of power. They explain it. He fell out of power. He fell I'm out a... of power and influence, and that's exactly the story that we needed. Because Santa is good-hearted and selfless, while the Burgermeister was selfish, and Santa lived on. The Burgermeister did not. Well, I said that mainly for the joke of I was imagining like his men did like an Operation Valkyrie style assassination coup on him. Oh, that was a delete the scene. Oh. oh, this is their hippie wedding. Yeah, this is the closest they get to the acid trip. This again. is a socially distanced wedding, actually, Jake. <laughs> well, where are their masks? It's outdoors. Everybody is six feet apart. <laughs> it's a very minimal. Them. Just the minimal amount of people are there. Well, can animals get COVID? 
No, unless it's a mink. So, again. None of those are mink. There we go. <laughs> That's why their friends are just squirrels and all of them. Everyone else is dead. Yeah, uh, yeah, they all are, but several feet They're going to have a proper other. reception next year. Yeah. <laughs> His, mo- his mother will be invited to that reception. But I like how those two squirrels are identical, except the girl one just had a few eyelashes on it. Like, no, no need to change up the model. It's the exact same one. It's great. And then they immediately let themselves go. Hey, that's what happens. Hey, good for them. I mean, you have to stress eat when you're on the run from the Nazi. I mean, Meister Burgers and, you know, working constantly to deliver gifts. That'd be stressing. He'd probably uh, take out all the time. Here we go. Two. Wait. What's happening? They're going. Oh, they're homeless? The Donner passage. I, yeah, I, they're, they're the Donner party now, right? Oh, Maybe my God. <laughs> I don't know if they get rainbows in the North Pole. Oh, a rainbow is like a, an optical illusion. I guess it could rain up there. So I, I think it's quite unrealistic, and I'm very disappointed they put it in this film. That, <laughs> until now, really grounded itself in a uh, a sense of reality. So, but see, there's the Rudolph Castle. Same. Are you sure? It's all connected. Yeah, it's the same design. They they recreated it, but smaller because they're just starting out. Is that or they were just like. Oh, what does Santa's castle look like? Didn't we do that back in Looks the Looks like a castle. Okay. No, that, that, that's the thing. I think they put just enough thought into, like, oh, let, well, let's use the same design we did in the original special, and then that's as far as they went. All right. There was never, like, an actual intention to make a cinematic universe. It was just like, hey, what's the first thing we can reference the other thing? And then that was it. All right, now we're two years later. <laughs> this and is, the this Kringles is... all look the same. Except for, you know, Chris. Yeah. Well, because he's human and they're elves, I guess. Yeah. So the, the Meisterberger fell out of power. However, child labor was still rampant throughout this town. And kids had to pick up all the trash. And now Santa's their guy. It's a nice image, though. Yeah. I like the kid dragging the picture that's a little too big for him into the garbage. Yeah. Shows how they won out in the end that their innocence and naivety was uh, beat out the Burgermeister's cynicism. It's yeah. a nice little moment. Yeah. Um, though briefly back to the, how these are all connected, they don't explain why um, Mrs. Claus becomes Italian in the next few years for what? Rudolph. What? In Rudolph, apparently you didn't pay attention to it when we did it last year, they have her talking in almost like an over-the-top Italian accent for some reason. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, I think Jessica is like a part Jewish and Italian name created by Shakespeare. Yeah. It doesn't sound, she doesn't sound like at all what she sounds like in any of the other ones. Bullshit. Look, kids, the warlock's still there. <laughs> he's definitely oh, he's... dead. <laughs> They're just, well, it is a puppet now. It's just an actual guy moving. It's like Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> They, they, the they can't break it. They can't break it to Chris. He'll like stop working if they think that if he knows his friend is dead. Santa's never been very good at accepting a loss. <laughs> yes, he has the Kringles to a weekend at Bernie's routine to make it look like the warlock's still there. Please, please, I I can't bury him. I can't say goodbye. 
I'll go back to making your 14th century toys. <laughs> we have to get them out there before the PlayStation 5 launches. Don't worry, Fred Astaire will deliver them for us. Now, I really like this um, part at the end here where it shows that, like, not everyone still likes Christmas and, like, it acknowledges, like, the world isn't perfect. You know, we're when this is made, we're coming right off of, you know, Vietnam, not still being over, you know, MLK, Bobby Kennedy, and all that. That's, like, you know, in a very tumultuous time in American history that, like, you could be like, well, wh why is Christmas pure and all that? It's like, well, no, there is still suffering, but, you know, if we all believed and acted like this, the world would be a better place. It's a, I think it's a very nice message for the time. You know, there weren't too many other specials in this era where it's like, why do people actually dislike Christmas? You know, like, it, the only other one I can think about from this era is the Charlie Brown special, where he's talking about it's all too commercial. It's selflessness and love. That's, yeah, that's and that's the both their messages. And the that last scene there underlines that. Yeah. It's very progressive. Um, How old is Fred Astaire at this point? What? How old is Fred Astaire? Probably in his like, 60s, 70s. Okay. Um, one more bit of continuity. He, this character showed back up in the um, Easter special they did a few years later. Hmm. Yeah, he was... Delivering the letters to the Easter Bunny. He was always my favorite character. Uh, Fred Astaire. Yeah, I just always loved the snowmobile. I thought it was the coolest fucking thing. Yeah. Look at this. I think he's the best of the celebrity cameos. I've always been curious what his relationship with Santa was. Kind of like the, the narrator from Rudolph. Maybe he's his son, okay. his long lost forgotten son. Oh, that's that's supposed to be um, Yukon, but it's like it's very clearly like a little girl. So that's Yukon's sister then. Yes. Oh no! Oh wait, he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, Fred Astaire. Um, ah! I think, I think he's just the delivery guy. He, he just happens to know him over all these years, delivering these fucking letters. Or tumultuous, um, I, I, I like that he gets like a moment with the characters here, so yeah. he doesn't just seem like a strange outside observer, like the snowman, like the snowman from uh, Rudolph, or Durante and Frosty. What if, uh, what if Fred Astaire had had like dirt on Santa, and he was like blackmailing him? <laughs> I still my my double indemnity I, or my postman always rings twice episode is still good, with with Santa. <laughs> it's now just Fred Astaire in there. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, Mrs. Claus Fred hires Astaire Fred. Replaces Fred McMurray. Yeah, he wants Fred. Fred for Fred. She wants Fred Astaire to murder Santa so she can get uh, his uh, his fortune, the insurance money. So they plot to murder Santa and it goes horribly awry. <laughs> Copyright Jake 2020, so no one steals that. But yeah, you know, we're wrapping up, and it's a, another great Christmas special here and gone. <laughs> well, yes. He's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> well, and just think, the next time we see Mickey Rooney as Santa, he's like, I'm quitting. This is going to be the year without a Santa Claus. Well, I, I think this is the perfect movie to show to kids yeah. about Santa. And then, six years later, you take your kids to a Denny's, and then you tell them that Santa Claus doesn't exist. <laughs> That's well said, Jake. Is that how it happened for you at a Denny's? Not me, but maybe for some kids out there. <laughs> I thought you were making like a reference to the Santa Claus because that's what they go in that movie. No. I think he just thought the restaurant was funny. Yes. So, all right. Well, thank you guys for all joining us for our first Christmas special this year. We have one more this year and then uh, 
few other non-Christmas videos sprinkled in between. So stay tuned. Take care.